This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We are live. One, two, What's up, everybody? Welcome to West by Pod, a podcast about WVU, the Big 12, and some degenerate commentary. I'm Joel Bracken. You can find me on Twitter at WVStatsGuy. And I'm joined, as always, by Jordan Pinto. On Twitter, he's at GameDayShorts. Jordan, this week, Neil Brown said they are simulating game week. Uh, have you been simulating game week this week? I've been simulating game week since the end of last season. Um, but yeah, I've really picked up my preparation uh, over the last couple weeks or so, I got a, I got a fresh keg on the kegerator. Uh, I've got a freshly poured two pints sitting next to me. So, yeah, we're, we're we're simulating as much as we can from our home environment here. Awesome. Yeah, I've been getting uh, all the the TV placement outside to, for a little back deck watching. Like you know, just just getting uh getting everything geared up. We are under ten days till Mountaineer football again. Um, man, it's uh it felt like the off season was really long, and then all of a sudden we're under two weeks. So. Super excited. Um, on the pod today, we are going to be doing the West Virginia University Mountaineers, uh, a little deep dive into the home team, and then we are going to cap it off with some uh, some betting picks, going to run through the Big 12 and do some over-unders, and then just some other uh, tantalizing picks that we found and, and talk through a little bit of the, uh, the betting numbers. So um, should be a good show. I think we're going to start off, as always, with Run the Hill. Um, so Jordan, what do you got for me today? Yeah. So I think the only thing on the docket for today, um, we still haven't announced the starting quarterback. Joel, what are your thoughts on this? Is this some gamesmanship by Neil Brown or do we really not know? Yeah, I think it's gamesmanship. I think nothing to worry about. I'm not concerned that, um, there, there's any unrest. I mean, I think JT Daniels is, is the guy and I'm, I'm not worried that somebody stepped up, um, I do think in this era of college football, you do have to be really careful um, with <laughs> like the recruiting your own players deal. So if uh, this guy transfers in, you know, we have these other three or two guys and then, you know, the one uh, Nico coming in from um, high school this year. So you get this transfer in, you can't just give them the job. You can't just sign it away. You got to keep the locker room happy. Um, so, yeah, I think this is this is both doing your, your diligence and just like making sure everybody's still bought in JT Daniels can't relax. You know, none of the guys in the room can check out and yeah, a little bit of gamesmanship. Pitt hasn't announced a starter. There's no benefit to announcing a starter. Um, you know, there's, there, there's just not really any, any reason to, so there's no, nothing that's concerning me there. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, I, I think, I think you uh, are, are pretty well spot on there. I will say, uh, from some of the people who I've spoken to, um, who have been at the scrimmages, JT Daniels has been taking the majority of the first team reps. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is just a little bit of, little bit of, uh, you know, keeping the cards close to the vest just for the sake of it, really. 
Yeah, Neil Brown had great things to say about all the quarterbacks and his pressers. You know, I think he's keeping the morale as high as you can across the board because, like I said, you got to recruit how many guys, you know, does Goose want to leave at the end of this year? How You got to at least have one guy if JT Daniels is kind of a one-and-done situation. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I'm not not too worried. It's it's one of those things. And, hey, we're so close to football where we can actually talk about football and, and not coach speak and non-stories and, you know, all that nonsense. It's just what what uh the off season is meant for so um yeah excited excited to see who we tried out there i'd, I'd be very surprised if it's not jt daniels though <laughs> yep all right so we're deep diving west virginia i uh i was talking to one of my buddies about the podcast a little bit and he's like you know it's it's really good um but there's there's a little bit of you know why do i need to know who the third string redshirt freshman on kansas state is um which i get but, you know, know your enemy, right? We're just doing this to stay informed. I want to be able to confidently tell you that West Virginia is going over five and a half games uh, later in this uh, in this episode. And, and to do that, I have to know about that third string redshirt freshman receiver on Kansas State. So with that being said, we're West Virginia from here on out, man. Starting today, we're deep diving today. And then it's all golden blue glasses and, and blue and gold capes and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, West Virginia beer helmets and and, uh, and that's us. We're full steam ahead um, starting today. So 2021 recap, um, you know, I, I, I think we were pretty much like the perfectly average college football uh, team last year. Um, started uh, what? Started two and four. So, you know, didn't have the greatest start to the season, but uh, rallied, rallied to six and six, got to a bowl game, got smoked in the bowl game, you know, take that for what it is. Um you know, I think that most of us would, would agree that we let some games get away from us last year. Um, and, and, you know, I won't, uh, I won't rain on, uh, the, you know, a quarterback or a player who's not here anymore. But, um, you know, certain things have come to light that, that maybe make you uh, reevaluate some of the things we saw last fall. There were some opportunities that got away, some missed, uh, some missed touchdown passes uh, that, that might have brought at least one or two more wins. Um, you know, but in general, we were below average offensively last year. Uh, I'd say we were probably good uh, defensively. Um, and the thing that kind of that kind of really submarined the season last year, I felt like, was just awful on special teams. Um, really made you appreciate uh, the importance of the third phase when, um, you know, we're consistently starting on our, you know, 20, 25-yard line, and it felt like our opponents were always on the 30, 35, 40. Um, really just made you appreciate how much the field position battle matters, how much how – much, um, you know, kind of the, the details matter. Cause I didn't feel we like we were a super detail oriented team last year. Um, what are you, what are your uh, thoughts about uh, our squad last year? I agree on the, uh, the detail oriented part. Um, I forget where I read it recently, but um, yeah, I, I think that we think Neil Brown, you know, he kind of came in as this, you know, intelligent coach. He thinks about all the details and all the, all the minor parts of the game. And it almost feels like the team was thinking too much last year, like it, instead of doing, um, and yeah, I'm glad you highlighted special teams because we were one of the worst in the country, if not the worst, in terms of yeah. starting field position. Uh, I know we were bottom five and starting field position against. So yeah, it's just that when you're a really average team and uh, you need a spark and special teams can be a big swing. And that was something that just was consistently killing us. Um, on offense, you know, what stinks is we were not good and we were not fun. It wasn't like some crazy blowing up explosive plays. And then we stall, um, we were just so flat is like the word I kind of think like, 
it just seemed like, you know, if you watch the Oklahoma State game, which they were a tremendous defense, um, it just seemed like we were a half, a half step slower than uh, than the defense on some some days. So, yeah, last year, ninth in the conference in PFF offense, ninth in the conference in beta rank offense, um, not explosive. We were 91st in the country, explosive plays, uh, 75th in the in effective rush, 40th in effective pass. So just really not a lot going on. I think if there was a high spot on the team, on the offense, at least it was probably the, the pass and run block. Um, that was maybe a little bit above average in conference, uh, at least per PFF. We were top four in both of those in the conference. So yep. um, they got better. And then I, I also think in today's college football, you almost have to throw like bowl games out a lot. And I really just want to forget about the bowl game and, and pretend like that one didn't happen because uh, that was quite a, a falling flat on your face way to end the season last year. So I don't, I don't take too much stock in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, you know, it, it, it felt like they were kind of taking the piss out of us a little bit in that game. Um, and <laughs> didn't really, didn't really care for it. So yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll just go ahead and pretend like it didn't happen. That's fine with me. Um, but you know, coming into this year, um, it's, you know, it's kind of weird. Um, because the vibes that we've had on here all summer, um, you know, if you if you are following West Virginia Twitter, following mm-hmm. West Virginia social media, um, it seems like the expectation is that we're going to be a pretty good team. But then you look at some of our numbers. We're, we're plus twenty five thousand win a natty, which whatever. But we're we're plus three thousand to win the Big Twelve, um, which I think was probably the third worst number. And then we mm-hmm. also only had you know over under five and a half, which kind of felt feels a little bit disrespectful to me almost when you consider we we won six games last year with a with a D2 quarterback or you know a not, not maybe not a power 5 level quarterback um so i don't know i mean people are down on us you know which you can't really blame them we didn't do anything last year to, to earn the benefit of the doubt um but i think that we did make some moves over the off season um that that kind of you know that's what that's what's driving the hype train right now, right? You bring in Graham Harrell, offensive coordinator. You bring in JT Daniels, and everybody's excited again. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think the big the big criticism of Neil Brown was probably how he handled the offense, and yeah, he he's took a step back, hired an offensive coordinator who's going to to handle this thing. You don't know how much Neil Brown's hands are going to be on this thing, but um, you get a new offensive coordinator and you get a new quarterback. And, you know, the quarterback is a big situation. I, d- I don't want to also, like, pass too much on our past quarterbacks, but um, we had a quarterback last year who couldn't win a job at a, a G5 level um, very recently. Against so. a D2 transfer. Exactly. So, you know, in the nicest way possible, like, that's just not really going to cut it at a Power 5 level um, in, a, in a competitive conference. So, you know, I think you do put the, the Band-Aids and the fixes over what needed it the most. And... You know, Neil Brown, this is this is going to be his fourth season, which is kind of crazy. I feel like he's still so brand new. But yeah, it's time to he's one, in my opinion, he's one in every phase of being a head coach, except on the field. Um, I feel like he's a great ambassador for like the, you know, the university for the state. He seems like he's a, an amazing recruiter based on the, the numbers and the guys we bring in. Um Seems like he runs a program well. I think, you know, stepping from Troy to Troy to West Virginia is a different deal. But um, yeah, all he's got to do is win games. And, and that's what he kind of has failed to do. So a big season for Neil Brown. Um, five and a half is the number Vegas gives you. And it's like, man, it's Neil Brown, I'm sure, is not 
overly excited that he inherited a schedule that has uh, two away Power 5 non-conference games. Uh, there's one gimme on the schedule. So, yeah, you got to go out, and there's 11 teams you're going to play who are, are Power 5 football teams. And, yeah, you, you the fans, I think everybody's just ready for that step up, you know, seven, eight wins, whatever it may be. I don't think he's getting fired this year, but um, the trust the climb is going to be quite a painful slogan if, if it doesn't come down this year. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's getting tested this year for sure. Um, and so, you know, if they pass the test, you're, you're going to have to say that uh, Graham Harrell's probably going to play some sort of a role, right? So he's coming in, um, previously offensive coordinator for three seasons at USC, um, had some good success there. Pr- prior to that uh, was at uh, North Texas, where he had some very good success. Uh, I think that, you know, the quarterback that he had for his three years at North Texas set all kinds of school records. Um, USC, he was productive for three straight years with, with freshman quarterbacks. Um, so you have to say, you know, it seems like he knows what he's doing, right? Uh, 30,000 foot view. Um, I think my impression of him is that it's going to be, um, you know, he, he's pass heavy for sure, but I think it's, it's not going to be Mike Leach. It's going to be more reminiscent of maybe what we were with Dana Holgerson, um, both in terms of, of, you know, the aesthetics of the offense where there's going to be more vertical shots, um, but then also functionally for for the players, I think he's you know a, a big point of emphasis for him. Every time I've heard him talk this year, is we're going to keep it simple. We're going to do a few things. We're going to rep them until we get really fucking good at them, and and that's just what we're going to do. We're going to dress them up in a couple different formations. Hopefully, we have the personnel to you know line up one way, do a big shift before the snap, and and maybe create some mismatches. So um, I'm buying everything that he's selling. Uh, I think in terms of, of what I've heard from him this offseason, how he wants the offense to function, how he envisions it. Um, and yeah, as we as we said at the top, um, it seems like the guy who's going to have the keys to the, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a Ferrari, uh, but uh, but uh, the guy who's going to have the key to the offense out here is, is most likely going to be JT Daniels, which I don't know, you have to be encouraged um, just based on you know, on paper, the upgrade from last year. Also, obviously, he was with Harrell uh, for for a season at USC. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, what what are your uh, what, what's your take on JT Daniels? Uh, you know, just just looking at the numbers. Yeah, looking at the numbers. I mean, I think his career is one of those that you have to know the full story. Um, starting quarterback at USC as a freshman, starting quarterback at Georgia for a time. Um, injury. You know, it wasn't like he really got beat out either time. It was really just injuries. Um, kind of sidelining them. So that's, you know, a concern. Uh, when a guy has more than two injuries, you start start to wonder if that's just the kind of guy he is. Um, but he had some really productive games, some really productive performances. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can, if you look at anyone's highlights tape, they look great, but you can go on YouTube and watch his highlight tape at Georgia um, and at USC. Like He can drop the ball in the bucket. Um, the only maybe criticism I seemed in his highlight tape um, is he seemed to underthrow some deep balls, but he still has pretty good arm strength. He can flick the ball and get it yeah. downfield. I think when you look at the quarterback room, and this this is kind of I've had this take for a long time. I feel like all the way back to Skylar Howard. Um, if you're a West Virginia fan, you just want the best guy to play at every position. And unfortunately, when some guys start at a position, uh, it be it Deggy, be it Skylar Howard, whoever, um, you know, they get hate. He is the best option. I'm I'm pretty confident on this team. So, you know, and I think including Deggy from last year, I think this is a better option. So a massive upgrade at the quarterback position. I mean, you have other options, Garrett Green. You might see some packages for him. I mean, he has real game snaps. 
Neil Brown said today he's one of the quickest players they've tracked in the, the fall camp with some of their tracking technology. Um, you know, Nico Marco, I don't think we're going to see a lot of him, but um, yeah, I mean, JT, this is a big get. USC and Georgia, just, just from a thousand, you know, point of view, USC and Georgia are two programs that are more prestigious than West Virginia. And he started at both of these programs. So just, just going from that, you have to feel good um, that we're getting an upgraded quarterback. For sure, man. <clears throat> yeah. You know, he's, he's not going to be a guy who runs away from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you look at the accuracy numbers, he's, he's completing 70% of his passes for his career, which is uh, good no matter how often or, or where you're playing. Um Good at pushing the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, really, the the only red flag um, is 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 that injury history. You know, he's not great against pressure, but that's kind of what we would expect to see with with somebody who's not overly mobile. Um, and I don't know, man. I think you know, if we get uh, so so the the biggest sample size in the last few years is that 2020 season of Georgia, and if we get that 2020 version of JT, I think he's a top three quarterback in the league, which is mm-hmm. certainly uh, certainly an upgrade over what we had last year. Um, so yeah, feel feel good about JT. Um, I also feel really good about the running backs, man, which is maybe not something that we would have, uh, have thought, you know, you're losing Letty Brown, who's three-year contributor or well, sorry, four-year contributor, uh, like three-year starter. Um, guy was a great player. Um, super productive. Uh, you know, I think that as, as last season wore on, um, I don't know if it was a product of him, of him being worn down or what, but you know, you kind of got the sense that maybe he didn't have the most pop, you know, like you're, you're watching, um, some of these plays and, and it just never really felt like the guy hit a home run, you know? Um, and then you'd see somebody like Tony Mathis come in, who's going to be the, the running back, uh, you know, the, the, the starting running back this year. Um, guy made things happen, man. Guy, you know, guy has a little bit more of that lateral quickness, maybe that, that Letty Brown didn't have. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I, I really like the running back room. So, you know, we're going to ride Tony Mathis. He had, he had 72 carries, 312 yards last year, uh, about three yards, uh, three yards, uh, after contact on average, um, higher percentage of missed tackles forced than Letty Brown. So, you know, it's not just the eye test. It's, it's the numbers kind of backing up that maybe he was a little bit, um, you know, more explosive as a runner, uh, than Mm -hmm. Letty was. Um, then you're going to have, uh, Justin Johnson. So he's going to be, but I guess he's going to be a true sophomore because he ended up not redshirting. Um, didn't play a ton last year, but, but kind of came on towards the end of the season and then actually played pretty well in the bowl game. Um, and has been a guy who throughout the spring, throughout the summer, throughout the fall has consistently, um, you know, had praise heaped on him and not just, and not just coaches, you know, we're talking his teammates, um, the other guys who are in the room with him every day. So, you know, I think, um, he seems like he's probably in line for a breakout. I don't know how many carries are going to be available. Um, you know, what, what the, uh, what the percentage is. I don't think it's going to be a true running back by committee. Um, but you know, Johnson seems like he can play. I think he's ready to, to have a good season. Um, you add Jalen Anderson, who again, you know, another guy, he got in late last year, didn't have his grades, so wasn't able to participate, but looked good in the spring. I actually really liked the way that he looked in the blue goal game. He kind of reminded me of maybe a little bit of like a Martel Petaway, you know, super low center gravity guy who's going to be one cut, get downhill, um, kind of a bowling ball a little bit, you know, the guy who's going to be, who's going to be tough to tackle. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. Um, and then the, uh, the, you know, the fun piece is a guy who we've talked about a couple times on here already this fall um, is CJ Donaldson. He was um, a three-star athlete, I guess you would say, the class of 2022, came on campus and people probably thought he was going to play tight end. Um, but when Lynn J. Dixon 
uh, left the team, you know, kind of left the team, maybe looking for a running back. I guess Donaldson got on campus and the decision was made to move him over to the, uh, to the running back room. So, um, seems like he's going to play this year. I, you know, how much, what capacity, who knows, but, but, um, I think he's been talked about too much not to, to, to not expect him to get some kind of a look. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about the running backs? Yeah, I mean, I think you have enough guys that you feel like you can at least get touches with multiple guys. You look at last year's distribution of attempts. Letty Brown had like 70, about 70% of carries from running backs. Um, so that's a really high percentage for one back. And yeah, I do kind of agree as he sort of wore down as the season goes on. Like, you know, remember, I think maybe the first play of the Virginia Tech game, he he busted an 80-yard run. Yep. He wasn't quite the same Letty at the very end of the season. Um, he had a lot of miles on him. And then Tony Mathis comes in and really just features in the Kansas and Minnesota game. Um, but, you know, he, he had two full games of getting, he had 22 carries in the Kansas game for a buck 18 and 13 carries in the Minnesota game. So those were kind of the two, two games where he was heavily involved. And um, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to shoulder the load this year. He's going to get the bulk of carries, but um, just having options, like I, I definitely think that uh, you got to cycle guys in at the running back position. It's uh when you're the running back, you're getting tackled at the end of every play unless you're in the end zone. So it is a physical position. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you got to have enough guys to cycle through. The one thing that does make me feel good is this offensive line that the uh, the guys are going to be running behind. Um, I will say I am I, I do like our offensive line a lot, and we're pretty much returning the whole line. And uh, you have to think that improved improved front line is going to help the running game this year. Also going to help the passing game. I mean, help just with with time to throw. Um, I know this was a conversation we had a lot last year about Deggy. You know, is Deggy holding the ball too long or is the offensive line not protecting? Um, and if you subscribe to the quarterbacks or the that sacks are a quarterback stat, you know, it, it was probably Deggy was holding the ball too long. Um, you look across our line, I mean, I think Neil Brown sort of indicated we have four solid guys who are going to be for sure on the line. And then um, maybe that right tackle position is still going to be by, maybe by committee. Uh, I think Neil Brown said in his presser earlier today um, that we're going to have, he's expecting to play seven guys on the front. But yeah. Doug Nestor, Wyatt Milam, James Gemitter, and Zach Frazier, all super talented. Um, I mean... If you haven't seen the uh, interview with Wyatt Milam maybe a couple weeks ago, watch watch it. He's a super likable guy. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to have to line up across from him because he's a big dude. He is, and he's yeah. apparently gotten a lot stronger this year. So um, I think the right tackle is the thing on the offensive line. That's the question. And then you know, then it's the question is, are we going to to maybe sort the the weaker of the five uh, towards the guard position or maybe even to the center position? Um, you know, they, you can't have an offensive line with just four guys and you just line up your best guy against the weakest and, and you do that. So, you know, what's the best place to sort of put that fifth guy. But I think at least four of our guys in our line are super solid this year. Very excited about them. Yeah, man. Yeah. The, the four you mentioned, they all graded out above, above 69 uh, on PFF, which very That's solid. solid. Um, two of them, Nestor and Frazier were both above 75, which is outstanding. And I think that was reflected in, you know, Frazier being, uh, recognized on the preseason all big 12 team. So, um, yeah, feel really good about those guys. And, and yeah, like you mentioned, um, you know, Jordan White's a guy who, um, wasn't in the mix last year, um, is reportedly in the mix this year. I know that with, uh, with some of the stuff over the last two weeks, as they, as they've started getting more and more into the scrimmages, 
Um, White's gotten looks, you know, with as as the first team guard, um, with with Nestor popping out to tackle, um, and even uh, you know Jordan White playing center just to see how it looked with with Zach Frazier playing guard and Nestor playing tackle. So um, you know, I, I think they're 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 trying to figure out how do we get our five best guys on the field, right? Because you, you know, last year. It is one position, but you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And, you know, Yates, 60.5 grade, allowed 31 pressures, which is almost as many as the next two dudes combined. Um, you know, Jaquay uh, Hubbard didn't didn't play much, but graded out even a little bit worse. Um, and so, yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see, like, what five start out uh, start out there against Pitt. Um, and, you know, if it, is, if it is Hubbard or Yates at tackle, how um, – how long do you wait to make a change if, if Pitt is, you know, getting the same kind of pressure, maybe uh, causing the same kind of havoc that, that maybe Oklahoma State did last year, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, I think what you'd say, the, the offensive line has to be improved if, if this team's going to be what we think it is. I think we've all kind of been buying into the fact that you have these five starters back plus a couple others. How can they not be improved? Um, and if they are and JT stays upright, then how can the offense not be improved? Um, cause we do, you know, not a ton of depth out wide, a lot of talent out wide. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What do you, what do you, uh, what are you seeing at, at the receiver position? Yeah. So last year, our, uh, our top, top target guy was Winston Wright and he's gone. Um, and you also lose Isaiah Esdale. Um, so, you know, We've done these deep dives on all the Big 12, actually on all the all of West Virginia's opponents this year, and just trying to be objective when you look at like PFF, per se, um, the the grades for the West Virginia receivers who are remaining. Uh, actually, last year none of them had a grade over seventy, uh, which is not not fantastic. That's that's not very good. But you know, being a West Virginia fan, knowing the guys we have, um, I think there's a lot of guys poised for a breakout year. I think there's a lot of talent. Um, I think there's several guys you could name on in the wide receiving room that um, could easily take that next step. I've heard lots of good things about Reese Smith over the off season. Um, Neil Brown saying he took a substantial step and, you know, really wants to be a part of this offense moving forward. Um, you have Caden Prather, you know, he, he, ha- we saw some little glimmers here and there last year. If he starts getting featured a little more could be a big weapon. Um, we know what Sam James did his freshman year and, you know, kind of getting back to that and, he has big play potential. Um, and then of course, Bryce Ford Wheaton, um, is probably going to be your target guy. Um, only criticism on BFW last year. Um, only 64.6% of targets thrown to him were caught. So only 42 of 65 passes. That's got to come up a little bit. Um, you know, that's not always all on him, but that's what I I was going to say. I feel like, I feel like both he and Sam James were open, Mm-hmm. down the field for big plays multiple times last year and were missed. And so you wonder, you know, hit a couple of those, hit a couple of those as touchdowns. What do their PFF grades look like? So, you know, it's all it's all contextual. Um, but yeah, no, the, I mean, that first group, you have to like the mix of skill sets, um, you know, especially if, if Caden Prather pops and, and kind of becomes that number one target that we think he can be, you know, maybe that Quentin Johnson type mm-hmm. um, down at TCU. Everything else falls into place, right? You have uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton, who was um, good as both a big play threat last year. I thought he was excellent in his underneath stuff. You know, when you can get him the ball on a, where he's basically just boxing out a cornerback, he's a big, big fucking dude. 
Um, you know, tough, tough to get on the ground once he gets the ball, if you get him the ball going with a head of steam. Um, Sam James, super fast. Like you mentioned, freshman year. Th- uh, this is a case that I've made in a lot of the articles that I've written, um, uh, especially since last season. Is I just, you know, I feel like he's been miscast as a slot receiver just yeah. because he's looks like a slot receiver. Um, I thought he was at his best as a freshman when he was wind up out wide going deep on people. And, you know, he's still going to play slot this year, but I think the big change is that um, you didn't see a whole lot of, of, of slot shots, slot vertical routes uh, in Neil Brown's offense these first three years, which is crazy to me because it seems like every other team that I watch ever on college football has that slot vertical route where, you know, yeah. if they just get they get past the, you know, the, the linebacker or even if the linebacker just doesn't turn his head around. It's always there, right? Yeah, streaking. Like if you have cover two, you're streaking right through the yeah, middle. Yeah, you go right through the middle. And uh, and Sam James seems like he's going to be a great fit for that role. I know that they had, uh, um, I want to say it was uh, Taj Washington at, at USC who kind of filled that role. Um, mm-hmm. Dude had a bunch of big plays down the middle of the field for them last year. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I think I, you're, you're talking about the slot. I think Reese Smith is, if he's taken that step up to be a, a top, like a, a starting player, Reese Smith seems like the the slot guy. He seems like the quote unquote, uh, yeah, the New yep. England Patriots slot receiver, correct, yeah. uh, of each year. So, um, yeah, you, last year I just pulled it up. Sam James, ninety three percent of his snaps were in the slot position. Yep. Uh, so be interested to see if that continues. Yep. No, I, I think he's going to be a guy, and it seems like the the top three guys are all going to move all over the formation. Um, functionally, in terms of role, I think it's like you said, where, where Smith is going to be that guy who, you know, working underneath, trying to get open, um, you know, kind of Dekeel Shorts, if you will, um, from from a couple years back, which I think, you know, if you look at all of our best offenses, they they have a guy like that who, you know, maybe maybe isn't going to be catching, you know, a 60-yard bomb, but, but a guy who you can look to on third and six, and, you know, JT Daniels knows he's going to be open. Um, so like that, I think my biggest concern on the offense, to be honest, is, um, is it tight end, man? Uh, and it's not even an indictment of, you know, somebody like Michael Laughlin, cause I think that he's been very good when he's been out there. Um, and you can see the difference in our offense when he's been out there, but he's just been hurt so much. Um, and then, you know, you, you bring in a guy like Brian Palende from, from Colorado state. Uh, I think he was at Miami before that. So guys transferred a couple times. You lose TJ Banks, who I thought showed some flashes towards the end of last year when O'Laughlin was hurt. Um, I'm concerned about the position, man. I just, you know, like if O'Laughlin can't stay healthy, I feel like Palende is, is pretty one dimensional. If you look at some of his receiving numbers at Colorado state, they're not all that impressive. Um, and actually his blocking numbers aren't even all that impressive. So, um, I know that that USC, I think, um, across five, you know, they they had like eleven hundred combined snaps across five tight ends last year. So tight end is definitely something that Graham Harrell is down to use. You know, run that eleven personnel package just because of, like we said earlier, you can get into a lot of different looks without having to substitute, which lets you go fast. Which means you can, if you catch defense in a mismatch, then you can just put the pedal to the metal and really, you know, drive the knife in, um, and. I guess I'm concerned about that. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a fair concern, mostly because of maybe Graham Harrell's scheme. I'm looking at USC last year. Five, <laughs> this is just kind of hilarious. Five tight ends had more than 10 targets in the receiving game. Yeah. Um, no more than 22, but five different dudes were rotating in. I mean, if you add those together, that's a lot of targets to tight end. Yeah. So um, if that's going to be a continued theme, somebody's got to uh, to kind of fill in that gap. Um, that'll be interesting to see. 
Yeah, I wonder, you know, I wonder if it's if it's Sam James or Reese Smith or maybe even somebody like CJ Donaldson who's uh who's who's kind of filling that role when, you know, we need to get flexible and we need to show one thing and then switch to another thing before the snap and mm-hmm. you know, kind of running the routes that a tight end would run. Um if it's just one of those three guys. Um but yeah, I so, guess we'll we'll see what happens. So all in all, I think offense, quarterback upgrade Yep. Running back maybe a little downgrade, maybe a deeper room, but a little downgrade at the top, I would think. Um, receivers, I think you got guys, but objectively, somebody has to really take a step up or two or three of these guys need to step up um, and really, you know, take it to the next level, fill some some shoes um, of guys. We really, I feel like we haven't had like a ton of guys in the receiving room last few years. So need to step up and then offensive line, you got everybody back. I think yep. is going to be better than last year. So all in all, would you, you think the offense is going to be a little better than last year? Yeah, man. If, if, if the line can keep JT upright, then I don't see how they're not like much improved. I mean, we, you know, we weren't that much, we weren't, we weren't that good last year. <laughs> offensively. Yeah. So, um, you know, you keep him up and then maybe, you know, with the change of scheme where we're, we're a little bit more vertical, a little bit more explosive. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think we're definitely better. Let's just at least be fun. If we're not going to be good, be fun. Cause like I said, last year we were neither. Um, so I'm excited just to see a fresh look offense, um, seeing yep. somebody taking over the keys and, and, and really get something new out there. Yep. So, for sure. So flipping to the defense, um, I guess kind of just starting on the on the line. You know, losing Mesador was was big. He was the top pressures guy last year. Yep. Um, Dante was not far behind. But I actually rewatched that little presser Neil Brown gave after the Mesador um, departure recently. And there's a nice little quotable in there that if you go out and win this pit game, we'll probably resurface of like. You know, the more or less the theme was, you know, we're going to suit up in 100 days and have the guys who want to be here and we're going to be a damn good football team. And, and this is not going to derail us. So um, it'll be fun if that is true. And uh, like I said, you're losing your top pressures guy. Dante Stills is an animal and he was not far behind in pressures. No. Um, you also have Jordan Jefferson coming back. Taj Alston was really solid last year. Um, I kind of like this defensive line. What do you think? Yeah, man. I, you know, again, like you said, uh, Mesador is top 20 nationally, uh, in, in terms of, uh, pressures from interior defensive linemen. Um, wasn't that good against the run. That's, I think that's kind of a sneaky thing that, that maybe you wouldn't, wouldn't have realized, but you know, he was on the lighter side. He was a guy who was, who was getting after quarterbacks. Um, so, you know, maybe the pass rush takes a half a step back, um, up front. But I think the run defense is still going to be solid. You have, you know, all the guys last year, I think we have six six back who played 100-plus snaps last year. Plus we had Mike Lockhart. Plus we had Zyke Lawton from Cincinnati, who I, I think is a guy who uh, folks from Cincinnati were, were upset to leave or that that, that he left because um, I think, you know, they had a super good defensive line last year, but they saw him as a guy who was going to be in the rotation this year. So, um, you know, and then you look, uh, Asani Redwood, who is, is a guy who I've – kind of I, I guess written about a little bit I think I actually picked him in, in my bold predictions as like this guy's going to be the most productive freshman for us um, you know it would seem like it's a tall ladder to climb because there's a lot of bodies in front of him but there he is on there he is on the depth chart um, you know already as a true freshman and um, you know he's a guy who's, who's gotten a lot of talk that, you, that he's a he's a guy who Neil Brown when he committed he compared him to Akeem Mesador 
Um, he's come in, he's physically ready to rock and roll. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think, you know, and we haven't even gotten into guys like Hammond Russell, Braden Dudley. Um, you know, it, it seems like they think we can go nine or 10 guys deep, which is definitely more, uh, I didn't mention Ed, Ed Vesterinen either. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, nine or 10 guys deep where, you know, maybe we don't have quite the same ceiling that we would have had had Mesidor stayed, but I think we're as deep as just about anybody in the conference in terms of guys who can go out there and put a shift in. I think we're going to be really good against the run. Um, you know, we, we probably need somebody to step up and replace those pressures that, that Mesidor provided. But, um, you know, in terms of a defensive front, I think we're one of the three or four best in the, in the big 12, I think still. So, yeah, I mean, we could run this thing like a, a hockey style line change right, yeah. and, and have three shifts come in every, every couple downs. Um, which a defensive line that is deep is, is a whole nother animal than when you have like six dudes who can play. If you have nine dudes who can play 10 dudes who can play. Yeah. You keep fresh legs in there. Um, and that really can change the dynamic. Um, I think that's one of those things, Oklahoma state, they had, they had dogs, but they had like eight of them too. So it was just like sub the, you know, the fresh legs in and and that makes a big difference. Um, It's not a, uh, it's not a luxury that we've had very often in, in, um, and, and, you know, at West Virginia, just generally, you know, I, I, we've had some very, very good defensive linemen. Um, we've had some very, very good defensive lines. I don't know if we've ever, uh, you know, to, to my memory, have been able to go eight or nine deep. And, you know, again, this is something we're hearing about over the summer. We'll see if it if it bears out, if all these guys actually can play and be effective. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I like the defensive line. You know, I think it, it's going to be a strength for us this year. Um you know, I think the one thing that could really take it to the next level, uh, we've—I don't know if we've talked a lot about the bandit on here. Um, we have the full rotation back. We haven't gotten a lot out of that position for anybody out there who has stumbled onto this doesn't know what the bandit is. It's—it's it's the hybrid linebacker defensive end, um, kind of the guy who allows us to shift between even and odd fronts without without substituting. Mm-hmm. It's been Jared Bartlett and Linnell Carr uh, last year. Um, Bartlett had one really, really good game against Virginia Tech. And I mean, you kind of saw the impact that that had on our defense. Dude had three sacks, forced a couple of fumbles. And, you know, we were absolutely blowing Virginia Tech out until, uh, you know, a certain quarterback tried to tried to give the game away. Um, but, you know, I think one of those two guys making the leap, preferably both of them, right? You know, I think they're, they're kind of a little bit different players. Bartlett's a little bit twitchier. Carr's probably a little bit bigger of a body, but also maybe a little bit better of a pass rusher. Um, but if one or both of those guys can take a leap, I think that's what takes this defensive front from, from pretty, pretty good to possibly great or elite. You know, if one of those guys can just come off the edge and pick up those 30 pressures that we lost with Mesador. Um, what do you think? Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, sort of rounding out the the defensive line and sort of merging into that linebacker position. Um, yep. Yeah, just just having to have those sort of hybrid players can really can really make a big difference. Um, yeah, I do think that the the pass rush, I mean, we've covered all these teams in the Big 12. There's a lot of teams that are going to get after the quarterbacks. Yep. Um, so that's something we're going to have to brain this year. We have to get a little better at it, yep. Ha- have to sort of step it up. And like I said, losing your top guy from last year hurts, but... Um, they're creative ways and really looking at these first two levels, there's so many guys, I couldn't tell you which one's going to step up, but there's a lot of guys, I mean, kind of moving into the linebacker core, um, you know, you lose Josh Chandler Samito, who was our leading tackler. Um, and he was all over the place. He was incredible tackler. He had a, um, 
his tackle grade on PFF was 82.1, which is really high. So um, losing that, and then you get um, Poba coming in, stepping into that role. Um, that man has had quite the uh, the campaign over the offseason. Only good things said about him. I've seen articles. There's pressers, multiple pressers on him. Um, you know, defensive coordinator, uh, Jordan Leslie is saying he's the quarterback of the defense, you know, stepping up, going to be a big leader. I think that is an immeasurable gain on the defense. Like that is your cement glue guy in the middle. Huge, looks so physical. Um, I'm, I mean, I think everyone's oh, just really yeah, excited looks, to see he, him play. Yeah, he looks the part, man. Yeah, I, I rarely have I been this excited to watch somebody play who has never played for us. Um, yeah, man, Chandler Semedo, really solid player, really good against the run, maybe a little bit limited in space. And I think that's where you get the, uh, uh, higher ceiling, I guess, for, from Pogba. Cause Pogba is a great athlete. He's a great tackler. You talked about Chandler Semedo's tackle grade. Um, you know, Pogba had an 89.7 tackle grade in 2020 at Syracuse, <laughs> right? So 13th nationally, the guy, the guy played at least 20 snaps in every single game. And uh, missed one missed one tackle the entire season. So you know, great tackler, super physical guy. Um, guy's gonna go sideline to sideline. I know last year in, in junior college, um, I think he he was top twenty in, in junior college in, in tackles, but he was also second in assisted tackles. So you know, he's he's just always around the ball, right? Um, we'll have to see in coverage. I think you know he's certainly athletic enough to be good in coverage um, and be better than than Josh Chandler Samito was in coverage. Um, but I think just in terms of, of, you know, like you said, like having that quarterback in the middle of the defense, having a presence out there. Um, yeah, big, big time upgrade. Um, you know, cause this dude just looks the part, um, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe comes in, has, has kind of an impact like Tony Fields had two years ago, right? Where Tony Fields yeah. came in one big 12 defensive newcomer of the year. So that's kind of, I mean, that's where I've put Pogba in my head, right? Or Kogba in my head. That's, that's, that's what I'm, uh. That's what I'm selling myself on Cobra. Um, playing next to him going to be Lance Dixon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dixon's former four-star player, high-level high four-star guy who committed to Penn State, um, transferred uh, to us uh, last, well, before last season, um, after the COVID year. Um, dude is hyper-athletic and, you know, it took him a little bit to find his feet last year, but, to, you know, second half of the season and especially like, you know, the last month and then into the bowl game, um, started playing more and more, uh, started the bowl game. I think he actually graded out as our best defensive player in the bowl game, had like a 79 grade PFF grade in, in the bowl game. Um, seems like he's gotten bigger. Seems like he's gotten stronger this off season as you know, you would hope, hope that he would. Um, and I mean, really you look at, uh, you know, he played 330 snaps last year, had a 66 PFF grade. So that's above average, right? Um, he was a good tackler. I think he only had like a 12% missed tackle rate. Uh, maybe 13% missed tackle rate. He was good in coverage. Um, you know, less than less than 65% of the passes that target him were completed. Um, I really, I mean, this is the most athletic duo that we've had in a in a handful of years. Um, I think their ceiling is to be the best best linebacker tandem in the league. I know that's that's lofty goals, but when you look at some of the turnover at the position around the league, um, and I mean, we've deep, we've like you said, we've we've looked hard at every team at this point. Um, I don't see a linebacker tandem who is objectively better than, than these guys are, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, 
I think that's that's if I was Neil Brown, that's kind of the goal that I would put forward for these guys. It's like, hey, why why can't you be the best linebacker tandem in the league? Why can't you guys just absolutely control games the way that Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper did for Oklahoma State last year? Yeah, and that'd be such a such a plus in the league this year where there are great quarterbacks in the league, but um, you know, as at least when we were talking about the returning quarterback, best being Spencer Sanders, and next after that is Max Duggan, if he's even going to start. Um, if you think this is going to be not as high flying of a league as usual, having that sort of anchor in the middle of the defense could be massive. And yeah, we also talked about how, um, looking at the preseason awards, you know, we are kind of a little confused with the linebacking, uh, awards. So just not a lot of returners there. Yeah. I definitely think the, the ceiling could be, these guys are the best in the big 12. Um, and you know what, like this team, like just to be frank, this team was, was good last year on defense, but you do need to step up. I mean, we need people stepping up all across uh, both the offense and defense. But um, I think the uh, the linebacking core right there and then kind of transitioning into Charles Woods, these guys could be elite players in the conference. I mean, you could have Dante Stills on your front say, line. At every level, yeah. Two linebackers, and, and, and then you have Charles Woods as an absolute shutdown, lockdown corner. Um Charles Woods was impressive last year when he played. Um, he did miss some games, but um, starting a week eight with TCU and on, I mean, he was lights out. This guy, um, I mean, even if you look at his grades when he was at Illinois State, and in 2019, he had an 88.2 PFF grade on almost 1,000 snaps. Yeah. Um, so just insane. Uh, let's see. So from TCU onward, that was six weeks he allowed uh, four catches. He allowed five catches all last year. On, and I don't think any in the last three weeks of the bowl game. Like, he, yeah. I don't think he allowed a single completion in our last four games. Last four games, no catches, was only targeted five times. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the mark of the true shutdown corner, right? Is like they yeah. don't even throw to your side of the field. Yeah. Um, so Charles Woods, he's been, you know, some guys have anointed him as, as the best or one of the best corners in, in the league. He's got to be that guy. I mean, if there's any sure thing on this defense, you need Charles Woods just to be like, we're taking away Hutchinson. We're taking away Worthy. Don't even bother. Yep. Like, don't even throw on this side of the field. Um, we need this kind of lockdown guy, Charles Woods. Um, so it seems like the other cornerback starting uh, across from him would be Andrew Wilson-Lamp. Is that what you're thinking as well? So that's what's listed. I, I really, it's going to be a rotation. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know it's encouraging because we, you know, we've we've heard some really high praise um, about Rashad Ajayi and, and Wesley McCormick, um, two two transfers, um, Ajayi from Colorado State and, and McCormick from uh, from James Madison. And so the fact that they're getting praised the way that they are, and Wilson Lamp is is still listed as a starter on the most recent depth chart that we received, is is uh, certainly encouraging. Um, so the, um, here, here's kind of how I'm thinking about our secondary. Cause we got absolutely gutted in the transfer portal, um, this year over the last two years too, right? Tyke Smith gone. Tyke Smith was yeah. effing awesome. Um, and then you don't even count the transfer portal and there's St. McLeod who was kind of looking like the next Tyke towards the end of last season, had an off season incident. And now it seems like he's probably not expected to be, to be back with the team. The way I'm kind of thinking about this is is we're going to be transfer heavy. Those guys are the ones who are going to be establishing the floor, right? So you have Ajayi, you have a McCormick, who Ajayi's played 2,000-plus career snaps at, at Colorado State. A lot of man coverage, which we said we're trying to get to this year. Had a 65.6 PFF grade last year, which is above average. 
And again, he's he's gotten really good praise uh, throughout fall camp this year. You have Wesley McCormick, who was hurt last year, but had a 90 coverage grade, PFF grade, uh, in 2020 at James Madison. Um, and, you know, you might say that that's, that's FCS, but Charles Woods came from FCS, and, and, and look where he is, right? So we've had success going with that route before. Um, you look at uh, Jasir Cox coming from, from North, North Dakota State, 1,300 uh, snaps over the last two years at North Dakota State, 82 PFF grade. 84.6 coverage grade in 2021. Really good tackler. Um, I think he's probably going to end up being the starter at the Spear. Um, Marcus Floyd, 1,200-plus snaps at, at Murray State. Three straight years with a 74 uh, PFF grade or better. Um, average, allowing completions on, on 53% of uh, targets throughout his career. That's over his career. That's not even just last year. So, like, I think these guys... You know, they're transfers, a lot of them from from lower level schools. But again, Charles Woods has kind of provided that path forward. Um, I think that we can feel pretty comfortable about the floor that those guys are going to give us. I don't know. Maybe one of them pops. But, Mm -hmm. you know, even if none of them really pop, I think that they're going to be average to above average starters in this league. Right. And then. And then uh, you look, and then I think like the second group of dudes is like the people who raise the ceiling. And so that's somebody like a Christian Stokes who was hurt in the spring, basically the freshman. And then you include Andrew Wilson Lamp in that, who is a redshirt freshman, but didn't really play last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Stokes, the Colby Spells, Moo Moo, uh, Ben Wahad, Andrew Wilson Lamp. I think those are the guys where if any of them hit, we could go from being a good secondary to being a great secondary and honestly having a great overall defense so i don't know like what do you think about that take on the secondary yeah i think you absolutely nailed it that's that that's a great analysis i think um one thing i heard neil brown say maybe a month or two ago um talking about the secondary was you know he's like everyone wants to talk about all these snaps that we lost we lost all these guys look at the snaps we got in yeah um you know if you really do the the sort of delta there uh it's not too bad yeah like it stinks we've lost all these guys um kind of on the second two levels the last couple of years in the portal. But um, yeah, it's new faces. It's names you haven't heard before. Hopefully five weeks into the season, you'll know two or three of them. Um, or yeah. or there'll be a guy like Charles Woods where you don't hear his name much because he just takes half the field away. Yeah, um, throwing at him. yeah, so I do think the defensive backs, the secondary in general, is definitely one of those as you took, as you took a closer look Mm-hmm. Um, and really looked at, okay, I don't know who this guy is, who this guy's new, this guy's a freshman. You look at, look at the names there. You sort of look at what they've been and where they've been. Um, yeah, I think you do feel better. And, and maybe that's one of those things that the national perspective doesn't quite get, you know, you're just seeing all, all these five new faces. Yeah, yeah. Five so, and a half doesn't count that, count that in. <laughs> so I do feel, I do feel a lot better about the secondary after the deep dive, probably the position group that I feel best about after looking um, a second time. So for sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if we want to hit special teams real quick. I know Casey leg, he's going to be kicking again. Beautiful. I think it's, kicker I, name. Yeah. I think it's worth it. Right. Cause he, he was on the preseason all big 12, right? He was our, mm-hmm. he was that fourth dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you look at him, he's, he's one of the best place kickers in the conference. Um, and so that was kind of a strength for us last year. Um, the big, the really big issue with us was fielding punts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so who knows if that's going to be better. I know we're throwing Sam James out there, I think is the plan right now. Um, I think there were some games in, in practice last week where Reese Smith and, and, um, 
and uh, Preston Fox kind of like, you know, chose sides, whoever dropped a punt first, his, his group had to run and neither of them dropped a punt. So, you know, worst case scenario, we should be able to put somebody out there to fair catch it. Um, I think low key, and I don't know, uh, you know, where you want to rank them in terms of importance. Um, because we have, like we've kind of said, we're, we're dependent, we're transfer dependent right now, but low key, um, I think Parker growth house could make a huge difference, uh, this year, just, um, on that, on that kickoff team as a kickoff specialist. So he's a transfer from, from Florida state who's come in and, uh, you know, I think something like 55% of his, his kickoffs in his career have been touchbacks. Um, last year we had one of the worst numbers in the country. I think I want to say it was under 20%. I don't, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I know that we were bottom five in the country and in, in touchback percentage last year, um, which obviously manifested itself. in the fact that we were one of, you know, a handful of teams that gave up like four fifty plus yard returns. We had, uh, you know, maybe, maybe tied for third worst in the country in, in kickoffs out of bounds. So like, you know, penalties on kickoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, the kickoff team was just a disaster. It was a dumpster fire last year. And so, you know, having a guy like that who can come in and more than half the time, just kick the ball through the end zone, have the team start, you know, with not great field position instead of getting the ball to 35. I think that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, I think, I think difference is the key word. Um, you look at this team last year, they won six games. What were the big inhibitors quarterback position got a transfer offense in general we have a new offensive coordinator what one like i think bottom three in the country in starting field position for the opponent you get a kickoff specialist i mean those are you have to at least give neil brown the offseason of you went out and fixed the big issues if you could win six games with all of those issues last year you improve and you you know you get a ton of guys back i i think the offseason was a win Neil Brown's been winning all over the place other than the field. Um, this hey, year, you really you really just hope the thing translates um, because, you know, we've talked about it before, but you get this recruiting on a roll and then you actually start winning. Um, you never know what's going to happen here. So, yeah, I do think the Parker uh, Growth House, is that how you pronounce his name? I think that's, that's a sneaky big pickup, just a kickoff specialist because, man, we needed one halfway through the season last year. For sure. For sure. Um, all right, so that's, you wanna, that's, yeah, that's that's us. That's West Virginia. I like, so, I like the squad, man. I yeah. like the squad. So yeah, I'm just gonna go to uh, to Twitter real quick. So um, our Twitter is at West Bipod with underscores in between. Um, so I sent out a tweet earlier um, and asked West Virginia's over under is five and a half, and uh, just asked where people had them at over or under five and a half wins. Um, we had about 300 votes in so far. 94% of responses were over. And I just want to read a couple of tweets here. So got Stephen Thomas said, God, I hope I'm wrong, but with the schedule and defensive transfers, I'm slightly under five and seven. Um, that's probably the only under-ish tweet we got. He was at uh, 6%. Yeah, we got at Marshall Sucks says, if we don't hit the over, Neil has to go. Don't care how high the buyout is crown crowdfund that shit um <laughs> <laughs> we got josiah cut says five and a half wins good lord if we can't get six with this roster we have serious problems trent price says hammer the over yeah. uh, tom says i bet our o-line outshines pitt's d-line uh bj says if we don't get seven wins that's an automatic fire in my opinion 
So um, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. But I don't agree uh, with that either. Yeah. The the slightly biased sample of West Virginia fans says absolutely pound the over, and I think that's a beautiful transition to a little Big Twelve over under betting picks. So I think the way we're going to do this is I will call out the team and the number and uh, we'll just do a quick little over under and you can you know, give a quick little like hit on why you might think they are up or down. So are you ready for this, Jordan? Let's do it. All right. First team on the docket is Baylor. The number is seven and a half. What do you got, Jordan? So I've waffled a lot on this, but I, I think under. I really like uh, I like Dave Aranda. I like their offensive and defensive lines. But I just think in terms of top-level skill skill position talent on both sides of the ball, they've, they've lost more than anybody in the conference um, without replacing it. And so so I have under, under 7.5. I think maybe 7.5. Seven 7.5 and five. Seven and five seems fair. What do gotcha. you think? So, yeah, for already first one, I'm going to go against you here. I have Baylor at the over, and I wrote it down by a hair. Um, I did a little pick through the conference, um, and I gave them six wins in the conference, which I don't know. Somebody has to win the games. I tried to go through and pick them somewhat reasonably. So I went over by a hair on Baylor, um, but I do not have them in or really even sniffing the big 12 championship. Um, okay. Next team is Iowa state. The number is six and a half. I'll go first on this one just so we okay. can go back and forth. I won't put you on the spot every time. Um, okay. Iowa State, I got him as under. Um, I went through, I gave him three conference wins. And uh, yeah, I, I'm i just not, I'm not sold. There's talent. Like they, I like the the quarterback running back combo there, but it's unproven. And I'm yeah, I'm just not as high on Iowa State as anybody else seems to be right now. Agreed, agreed. I like the infrastructure, but... Just, just too much uh, skill, position, attrition, um, to uh, to to like to uh, to go over there. Yeah. All right. Next team is the Jayhawks of Kansas. The number is two and a half. What do you think, Jordan? I hate to say it, but I think under. Man, I think they, I think they get two out of conference wins, but I don't think they get a, I don't think they get a game in the Big Twelve this year. Yeah, I, I begrudgingly went over. Um, I gave them two conference wins, and uh, I who gave you, them. Who did you have them beating? I gave them Texas Tech, and I gave them Iowa State, actually. Uh, okay. Um, and I gave them their FCS out of conference win. Yeah. Um, they have some winnable games out of conference. I think it was Duke, and I, I can't remember. Like the other Tennessee, one. Tennessee Martin or Tennessee State or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went. I went over, but also. That's a good number, uh, just by a hair there. So I'm sure I'll regret that one. Next state is everyone's favorite dark horse, if they still are one, in the conference, Kansas State. I'll go first here. Um, the number is six and a half. And I went over and I wrote down, but not as not by as much as I originally thought. Um, so I'm over on K-State. I think the top end could be really good. But I think we talked about a little maybe depth issues. Um, and yeah, like if Deuce Vaughn goes down, is this team really that good? Um, so I went over six and a half. But what do you think, Jordan? Uh, same, same. I went over I went over six and a half. I wrote down like seven, five, eight, and four um, with a coin flip, mm-hmm. you know, with a coin flip in there somewhere. Um, I like the team. I like the talent. But concerned about the offensive line, um, concerned about the depth. So, yeah. Cool. 
Okay, we both got over on K-State. Next one is Oklahoma. The number is eight and a half. What do you think, Jordan? I said over, um, and I hate myself for it because I, I, you know, I want them to suck. Um, I did have us as one of their wins, so <laughs> or sorry, one of their one of their losses. I, I wrote them down at nine and three, um, so I do think they take a step back from where they've been, you know, over the last uh, last handful of years. But but yeah, I think they still go over eight and a half. Dude, we are on the same page. I have them over, and I had them losing to West Virginia, yep. and it was purely out of. Yep. Uh, we can't go uh, winless against them in the conference. Nope. We were knocking on the door last year. Um, I mean, history tells you the last 22 seasons, they've won at least eight games. Um, so eight and a half is pretty uh, run of the mill for this kind of program. Obviously, tons of change, but uh, somebody's got to win the games. And they you know, still have they play. have more talent than everybody else. Still, even even losing what they lost, I, th- I still think they have as much offensive talent as anybody the defense is going to struggle but i don't know if it's going to be enough to to you know lose more than a a couple games yeah yeah okay next team oklahoma state eight and a half i have them as over um i had oklahoma state with eight wins in conference um and i don't have their out of conference but i think i safely had them over I actually had Oklahoma and Oklahoma State just by my picks through the conference as the two teams going to Arlington. Um, so what do you think over under eight and a half, Jordan? Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I have them over eight and a half. I had down written nine and three slash ten and two. Um, I think their, their out of conference was pretty favorable without having the schedule in front of me. I want to say that it, Arizona State was, was the lone P5 team out of conference. I think they had... Maybe I'm getting mixed up. Now I want to look it up. Hold on. I think Oklahoma had Nebraska, which is a uh, sneaky, interesting game. If you think Oklahoma's taken a nice step back and Nebraska um, was a three-win three team that was really like a seven-win team last year, you know, I, I think that could be an interesting out-of-conference game. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember Oklahoma State's. No, I think – so yeah, I, I think they both go – undefeated as yeah oklahoma state is central michigan arizona state arkansas pine bluff out of conference so i think you know shoot they win those three and then just go six and three in the conference that's that's nine so yeah i had them written down nine and three ten and two um not sure what to think about their skill position but again i trust the infrastructure they have spencer sanders the defense is going to be nasty i think that's going to be good for good for nine wins this year at least okay Next one up is TCU. The number is six and a half. What do you think, Jordan? Under. Yeah. I I had him I had him right at right at six and six. Man, I, I really like the offense, but I really I really hate the defense. So I think, you know, with a new coaching staff coming in, um, you know, I just when I was looking through it, I'm sure They'll they'll win a game they shouldn't, but I also expect them to maybe lose a game or two that they shouldn't as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I I think I'm reflecting too poorly on their defense, but same. I have them under. I had them as maybe a little bit underperforming in conference. Actually, only two conference wins when I ran through it. Um, so not really anywhere close to the six and a half. This team is one of those teams. Man, the offense could be really really good and could be if the defense is serviceable. Could be interesting, um, but. That I don't see how the defense is. I don't see how the defense is average. Yeah. Anything even approaching average. They were just so bad last year, and mm-hmm. you know, lost dudes and didn't really add anybody. You know, of note. Yeah. So, all right. Next team is Texas. The number is eight and a half. 
Um, this was the hardest one for me. I I uh, made several corrections and changes and thought about this one probably the longest. And I'm deciding on under by a hair, an eight win season, eight and a half number. I know you have UTSA and Bama out of conference. So that's like Bama's a loss. And then UTSA is not even a guaranteed win. It's not a um, gimme. Yeah. So I got him just slightly under. What do you think? Yeah, I have him under as well. Um, I have him, you know, seven, five, maybe even, maybe even six and six. Um, I don't know. Yeah. The more, the more that I looked at it, um, you know, all, all the stuff that I thought was super cool about them when we did the tearing the big 12 in our first episode, like you, you, you know, Isaiah Nayor hurt, um, their best offensive lineman's hurt. Adji Hall, four-star transfer from Alabama, has already been, you know, suspended, possibly kicked off the team. Um, you know, so a lot of that skill position talent that you were bringing in um, is is just not even going to be there. So, you know, I think they could struggle up front. I know they're going to be starting uh, one, possibly two true freshmen now with with the injury to, um, what was it, uh, not, uh, not Coker. Oh, man. Um Mm, that's going to bug me. Uh, but the injury, the, the injury was to, I think their best graded returning starter, uh, per PFF. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. the offensive line could struggle, um, which, you know, even with the running game, not great for, for a new starter for Quinn Ewers, um, to, you know, to be running for his life back there. And then the defense, I, you know, I think the secondary is going to be good. I think, the defensive line has some potential, like, you know, they, again, they, they're kind of like an order of magnitude, worse version of ours where, you know, they have some good depth, like they have guys, but they just don't have any playmakers up front, or at least they did last year. So, you know, maybe somebody mm-hmm. pops there, they get better. Um, but yeah, I, I have under, sorry, I went way over our, our 15 oh, or seconds that we're doing. <laughs> if they somehow uh, make that Bama game like a one score game or were to win it, the media is going to be so nauseating. Um, no, there's, there's no way. <laughs> Bama is going to just grind them in the dust. Yeah. I, I'm yeah, definitely not picking Texas on that one. So I went slightly under. We both went under eight and a half for Texas. Um, yep. All right, Texas Tech is the next one, five and a half, and it's to you, Jordan. Under. Yeah. I wrote down big under. They have a tough out of conference, um, and I kind of have yeah. them as the uh, the loser of the entire conference. I only gave them one win in conference. I just, man, whoever made the schedule just really kicked them right in the nuts, man. Like, they are so front-loaded. Um, you look at their, the last month of the season, they could win, you know, two of the three or three of the four or whatever. But like I have them like they could start like one and one and seven or one yeah. and eight, you know? Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, if, if, if th- yeah, no, I mean, if, if things don't go well for them, this could be not a not a great start to the Joey McGuire era. Yeah, you start in conference, you start Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and then West Virginia, Baylor. So I mean, yeah. you get everybody but Oklahoma just right off the jump. So and then who is their their out of conference with stuff too, right? Yeah, they had oh gosh, they had two Power Five or two. I, I think they had maybe like BYU or something like two. I think Baylor had BYU. Yeah, because I had I had that as a loss. That's why I went under. Um, now we gotta look at you. They have Houston and NC State. NC State both two. on the road, right? Two ranked teams. They have Houston at home, but oh, okay. probably be dogs there. And then at NC State night game, not hate, not ideal. Yeah, hate, hate both of those. So, yep. Um, all right, so we both hit the under on T Tech five and a half. Last one, 
West Virginia, five and a half. And I went over. Hammer that over, baby. Hammer, Hammer. the over. Hammer uh, it. We won six games with the worst quarterback in the history of the school last year. How are we not better this year? Tell me. Yeah. I went. If it was six and a half, I'd, I'd think a little longer. Five and a half. I think you win. I think you feel good about winning two out of conference. And then you need four more. Um, you think you beat Tech, TCU, Kansas, Iowa State, and then you get one of the big boys. Um, exactly any combination right. of that is is you know over five and a half. It's good. Ninety four percent of people say so. Everyone is saying this. Many yeah. people are saying this. So I'm saying it on the pod. I'm saying it with my wallet. Um, I think over hammer over. Big West Virginia over five and a half. All right. So I got them all written down. The only ones we differed on were Baylor. I was up. You were down on seven and a half. Baylor and Kansas. <laughs> Man, I'm going to regret this. But I went up on <laughs> two and a half. You went down. Man, I really don't like that those are our tiebreakers because that bro, Kansas one is a flyer. <laughs> bro, I, Man, I felt so bad because there's, there's so much to like about Kansas, um, just vibes wise. And, you know, I want Kansas to be better. But, but, you know, just going through yeah. game, game by game is just like, you know, they're not going to win that one. No, I don't yeah. think they're going to win that one, you know. Um, and, yeah, I landed I, – I had them beaten, yeah, that whatever that cupcake was to open and then, and then had them beaten Duke and 0-9. Yeah. 0-9 in conference. I could be wrong. You know, they could, they could lose to Duke and beat somebody in the conference and, and go 2-10. So. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I think uh, – uh, I might regret that one, but I'm going to yeah. go over for Kansas vibes anyway. So whatever. Um, That's right. So, okay. So big 12 conference winner, uh, everybody's plus money. Um, do you have any, anything that you would keep an eye on any betting advice? Um, how far would you stay away from plus 300 Texas? Oh, miles. Any thought, yeah. <laughs> any thoughts there? Nah, man. So, you know, I think yeah. You, you, I think we both said Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. So, you know, just with the way that those odds are, you could really bet both of them. I don't think, I don't think it'll let you, you know, do do a parlay or anything, but I think you could bet both of them and still make money regardless of which one wins. Um, if you, if you, um, weigh your bets correctly, I guess, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, so that's definitely something that I, that I've been considering kind of since I ran through all this. And then honestly, you know, if you're looking at, if you're looking at taking a flyer, um, so, you know, not, not one of the four teams that are, that are under, uh, plus 1000. So, uh, you know, K state, TCU, Iowa state, West Virginia, I, West Virginia is as good a bet as anybody, I think in, in terms of, you know, just taking a flyer. So, um, I probably will do it just for the sake of saying that I did it. If mm-hmm. it happens, um, plus 2000. Yeah. You know, uh, but no, I think, you know, if you're if you're trying to bet on the conference winner, you go Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and and mm-hmm. just weigh weigh appropriately so that you can you win regardless. Yeah, I think from a couple of days ago, um, Oklahoma plus one ninety, Oklahoma State plus five fifty. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you hammer both of those, and you know, I, I think you feel good. Texas plus three hundred, I wouldn't touch it. Um, That's crazy. Baylor plus five fifty. The odds are not those are those are good odds. I, I like that number. I wouldn't hit it myself, um, but I bet that'll get some action. K State plus twelve hundred will get some action from For sure, yeah. somebody yeah, reading right. something this week and like, oh, K State's a dark horse in the conference, you know. So it'll um, get there. Plus twelve hundred TCU, no way. No plus way. two thousand Iowa State. Mm, I like it better than the TCU number. Uh, and then yeah. Tech and Kansas, yeah. 
not a chance. So, um, any other, like, I know there's Heisman props, any other, any other betting advice or action that, uh, caught your eye? Man, I don't, I don't like anybody from the big 12 in the Heisman, but again, I think, um, plus 10 K you know, it's again, that would be another one where it'd be fun for the sake of saying that you did it. Yeah. Um, I don't think Kansas state's going to win enough games for him, for him to win it. And just the way that the award works, you know, I really think it's three horse race. It's the three guys who have by far, um, you know, the lowest number, CJ Stroud at plus 200, Bryce Young plus 400, Kayla Williams plus 600. You know, if you can figure out a way to to bet on all three of those or, you know, maybe even just CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, um, maybe something to look at. Because um, yeah. I, I think that, you know, just in terms of those teams are all going to be good and those guys are the quarterbacks of those teams. So, you know. yeah, JT Daniels plus 10,000. Um, yeah. My money will not be receiving that, but that is something you could throw down on. Um, one that caught my eye, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Ohio State plus 5,000. Mm-hmm. Receiver winning Heisman is far-fetched, but that dude was everywhere last year. Um, and I would before I did that, I would, I would check what Ohio State brings back because they had a three-headed monster at receiver. Um, and then also like Marvin Harrison Jr. They, they had some guys. Um, but I would take a look and see what kind of share he should expect this year. Um, you get Stroud thrown to him. I I think that's a sneaky one at plus five k. Um, I don't know. That was just one that caught my eye. Uh, could, yeah, uh, you could you could talk me into Will Anderson at plus three thousand too. Just you know, I feel like it, it builds and builds with with a defensive player winning it. At some point, the dam's going to break, and one is actually mm-hmm. going to do it. That guy was absolutely out of his face you know out of control last year what did i want to say he had 82 pressures by himself last year um which is more than you know that's like half of our team um guy had like 15 sacks here i'm gonna pull it up real quick um but you know if if bama goes and wins the national championship and you know bryce young's gonna be good but if he's not just like you know, otherworldly to the point where it's like the defense is clearly carrying these guys. Um, clear, clearly carrying these guys. Sorry, I'm clicking through this and trying to get to get to the pressure numbers. But if it's a kind of a deal where, you know, like how Georgia's defense carried them last year, if they had a dude like Will Anderson, you could maybe have, you know, talked me into into him winning the Heisman. Um, so, you know, that would that could be a fun one mm-hmm. if you're just looking for for somebody to to throw some money at. Yeah, sometimes those bets are kind of fun just for uh, sometimes I'll throw down some NBA MVP ones early season just as like keep you somewhat engaged of just like, yeah. oh, let's see how my guy's doing tonight or something. Um, yeah, I, I, there's some fun numbers in there. I don't love anyone from the Big 12 too much. Um, Deuce Vaughn would be fun, but uh, I, I would not go after it. Um, 82 pressures, 15 sacks for Will Anderson last year. Oh, that's crazy. That's outrageous. That's crazy. Um, there are some of these to win the to win the championship. Um, blank versus the field. Some interesting ones. So you can bet, you know, Bama versus the field, Georgia versus the field, Clemson versus the field. Then there's some interesting combos where you can do a Bama Georgia OSU Clemson versus the field. Um, obviously, you're not getting a great number there. Uh, the the Bama Georgia Ohio State versus the field so you get those three teams or you get everyone else if you bet those three teams it's minus 340 <laughs> um 
which we we looked up that is an implied probability of 77% which if you think feels yeah, low honestly <laughs> that, that almost feels low like if you get, if you told me what's that odds I'd say 90 um you know preseason who else is like going to knock on the door Clemson I'm I'm lower on Clemson this year you know, I'm looking at the odds right now. They have USC as the next team. I don't think so. A&M, Oklahoma, Michigan, Notre Dame. I kind of like those three front runners. If you think it's more than a 77% chance, um, maybe maybe smash that Bama, Georgia, OSU versus the field at minus 340. Um, that was an interesting one I saw. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to think about. Um, I think I definitely like that combination the best if you're going to package them together. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, the other fun bet you can look at. So there's, there's a bet you can win, uh, do like to win ten plus regular season games, and you can actually do parlays here, um, up to up to eight selections. So, so some of those are are fun to to get into. You know, just like talking yourself into like I could see this team going ten and two. Um, so obviously, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. Even if you parlay the three of them together. It's uh, the you know if you if you bet a uh, hundred dollars you're only winning like thirteen thirteen dollars forty cents, um, so you know not not great odds there. But you know you throw you throw a Houston in the mix, you throw a Cincinnati in the mix, um, maybe you throw a USC in there. Then you USC. get in, it's tempting. Pack twelve. Yeah, yeah. So you know you, you can you can parlay some of these things, get up to you know pretty good odds. I think you know actually if you just throw those six in there, let me see. I think it's plus uh, like plus six eighty. Notre Dame is um, another one with those six. Yeah. Plus six seventy eight. So, you know, you throw a hundred dollars at that. You could, uh, you could come away with a nice chunk of change. So, um, that's one that I'm probably going to throw something at just to, uh, just to, you know, provide some intrigue, uh, outside of the big 12. I'll be devil's advocate and say, that's not the way to watch college football, to root for the favorites, to win 10 wins. <laughs> it might be the way for your wallet, but that's the non-fun ways. Like, man, I really hope Georgia wins t- another 10 win season. Um, you need to root for chaos week in and week out. Um, oh, I want chaos, but I think Alabama and Georgia are impervious to it's, it. It's a damn shame. We were so entwined in the, uh, in the 2007 chaos. Cause that was like the perfect season other than we were one of the butts of the joke, you know, like that was one of like the perfect season where just everything goes crazy. Um, those seasons are fun, but yeah, I do think you, you throw a couple of those 10 win parlays together. Um, you probably like it. All right. Yeah, man. Any other betting talk, any other things like that you want to hit or you think we covered it? I think we covered it, man. Um, Sweet. Yeah, I'm just, man, I'm, I can't believe it's Monday. There's going to be one more Monday, and then that Thursday we play Pitt. That's right. In Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, so oh, I guess. Plus 225 money line WV if anybody's interested. Plus 225. That's generous for a uh, rivalry game. That's, you, could, you, could, uh, you could hit that for sure. I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, so next week we're doing a pit preview. So it is it is game week, and that's pretty much going to be the cadence throughout the season as we are going to throw up kind of a, a brief review, but I think we're going to be more of a preview style um, and get you ready for the game, get you in the know of, you know, refresh on the players if you want to go back and listen to the deep dive. Um, but we'll be kind of highlighting, you know, matchups and, and just sort of the, the big things coming into that week. So... Pitt will be on tap next week. 
Um, super excited about it. And uh, yeah, Jordan and I are going to the game. So it's going to be a fun one. I, I can't Woo! wait. It's been been a long off season. And it's been a long time since West Virginia has played a game that gets the juices flowing. Um, VT did it last year, but there haven't been uh, many in the last couple of years. So this, this is about to be our biggest game since at least 2018 Oklahoma. We'll have to think about that over the next week and, and, and try and talk about that as part of the pit preview. But yeah, holy shit, yeah, I'm the, jacked, man. The context, you know, maybe not national. Well, I mean, it is national stage. It's a th- Thursday night ESPN primetime college game day, so big rivalry. It is national stage. It's maybe not national picture, but uh, it's a lot of, I would say, regional picture. It's Neil Brown's job. It's the fans. We haven't played this game in 11 years. There's a lot of intrigue, so... Super excited for it. Um, so yeah, so uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm the, at WV Stats Guy. He's at Game Day Shorts. Our Twitter for the pod is at West by Pod. Uh, hit us up. We'll probably throw out some polls and questions about Pitt um, in the days before, so we can discuss during the pod. You can also find us on SmokingMusket.com. One, two, three, four. time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.